You're listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast, now on Google Play. With Rachel Adams, Managing Editor. Brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas. Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast. This is a special Supply Side West edition of our Healthy Insider Podcast. I have on the line Kurt Schneider, president of TechBridge West. Hi, Kurt. How are you? I'm great, Rachel. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, I'm so glad you could be here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Kurt will be presenting at Supply Side West uh, during our contract manufacturing workshop, um, which is called Contract Manufacturing Roundtable, How to Foster a Successful Partnership takes place on Saturday, October 19th at 8.30 a.m. And Kurt's going to be talking all about allocating a partner, um, including in, uh, looking at the vetting process uh, and some best practices to keep a partnership running smoothly. And there's certainly a lot of ground to cover on this topic, and we're going to dive into it today and at least get a little taste of some of what Kurt is going to be talking about at Supply Side West. So I want to get started today kind of just at the beginning. Um, so, Kurt, when a brand wants to launch a product and they want to contract out the manufacturer of the product, where do they start? Great, great question. Great question, Rachel. I, I think when whenever you're searching for a business partner, whether it be contract manufacturing, uh, uh, supply, anything, uh, the, the best thing to do right off the bat is, is conduct due diligence. Um, whether it's talking to people that have been in the business, whether it's looking at um, looking at trade publications, once you find that contract manufacturer or manufacturers that that you would like to at least investigate a little bit more, really digging into what types of things that they do and do well, and that's probably the best thing that you can do right off the bat is make sure you're conducting your due diligence. And is there anything in particular you would say that brands need to be looking for um, in terms of due diligence? I know you mentioned making sure that they're proficient in what, whatever product type, perhaps. Any other tidbits there? Yeah. Yeah, there's there, there's quite a bit of things that I would look for. Um, obviously, you want to make sure that the product that you that you want them to do is something that they specialize in. Um, a lot of smaller contract manufacturers will will tell you that they can make just about any product under the sun, um, but in fact, they they specialize in one or two things and they try and piece something together for you to do the other one. So, you definitely want to make sure that that yours is their main piece of business, their main product. Um, you also want to find out, you know, how long have they been in business? You know, have they been doing this a while? Have they built up a, rep, uh, a reputation? Uh, you want to ask for references, and, and a big red flag is if they say they can't give you any references uh, right. due to proprietary information or vendor relationship. Uh, they should always be able to have a name for you to talk to. Other things to be on the lookout for is um, what are their minimum volume requirements, order lead time. Uh, recent audit results. Uh, a lot of people don't look for that, but uh, if they have uh, an FDA audit uh, and can supply you with um, what those results were, what the 483 was, if they have one, um, that is something something that you want to take a look for. Uh, the last thing that I look for coming from the, the, the process engineering end of the world is I, I, I look to see if they have any R&D capability in terms of not just formulation, but also process engineering. Since, mm. since they're, they're primarily doing the engineering piece, the processing piece, um, you want to make sure that they have people that have R&D capability on process that can develop the process for you based on your product. That's a specialized function and not a lot of companies have it. Now, that's an interesting point um, because I wouldn't really, beyond formulation, I guess, 
you know, I wouldn't really think that that's another element that I would need to consider. So that's a really important distinction. Many, many of the people that, that, I con- that I contract with to help them find and secure and, and validate uh, contract manufacturers, uh, the job that I do for them is something that I would hope more, more operations have internally. And the smaller operations don't have it because in a lot of cases they can't afford it. So, so going to those smaller manufacturers that might offer you a better deal, you, better be, you, you need to be on the lookout for whether they have the capability to make sure that they can adjust their process correctly to make your correct product. Right. Extremely important. So mm-hmm. next, I, I want to talk a little bit about the vetting process. And I'm sure there, there might be some overlap here, but you'll let us know. <laughs> what would you say are the key elements <laughs> sure. when it comes to vetting a manufacturer? I would say that the, the first non-negotiable is, is are, they, are they answering any question that you ask with, I can't tell you that. If, you, if you're in the contract manufacturing business, you need to be an open book. Uh, of course, you have, you have proprietary, ingredient, uh, or proprietary agreements signed with all of your customers. You should have that. But even so, if, if somebody asks you what your core competencies are, or what your core capabilities are, um, if they can't tell you specifically what they're doing, Say in the in the case of of tableting, if if you're looking for somebody to do a a, a supplement for you, and you're looking for a tablet manufacturer, um, you want to know if uh, if your product is an effervescent tablet. Do they have capabilities to make effervescent tablets? That's a specialized process. Do they? If you're looking to put herbals in a capsule, do they have encapsulation uh, abilities? You want to make sure that they have that. So just finding a tablet manufacturer isn't enough, a deep enough question. References again, they 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 should be able to provide references, uh, just like in any good interview process. If you're not providing references, that's a huge red flag. I, I would also make sure that uh, you understand what their storing storage capability is. Do they do they store raw materials? Uh, do they do just-in-time processing? Are they going to are they going to uh, make your product and store it for a while so you can order it as needed? Or is it going to be on a per-order standpoint? And, and if it is per order, how long of a lead time do you need? Um, but I, I would say, Rachel, probably the biggest one is, are they honest and upfront with their information? And that's usually something you can pick out pretty quickly when you talk to somebody. Right, absolutely. And I feel like from some of the questions you're kind of honing in on there, uh, I feel like a, a big, a big. okay, sorry, I'm having a hard time with my words today. <laughs> Let me get my thought, Kurt. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, So what I'm trying to say is I feel like based on what the insight that you're sharing, what brand owners need to be looking for, it sounds like they also need to have a keen awareness of their own product and their own process and what they need in terms of their product launch. How much is that a part of this process, understanding um, as a brand owner what your own product is? You know, Rachel, I would say that's probably one of the most forgotten items and probably the most important in the entire process. Mm. As, as the brand owner, you've formulated the product. Um, you understand the raw material requirements. You understand what a good product looks like and what a off-quality product looks like. Um, if, if you go to a contract manufacturer and say, I want to incorporate, say, Moringa powder or CBD into a product, can you formulate a liquid for me or a powder for me? You're giving up a lot of that control. Mm. Um, you're, you're allowing them to create what the quality aspect is, and, and you don't want to do that. If at all possible, you want to know your formula. You want to be able to formulate it. You want to be able to have um, the raw material specifications. You want to be able to call which raw material suppliers you want to use. 
And you also should have uh, finished product specifications that, uh, that define the product, not just give them an idea of what it's going to be, but really dig into the specifics of color and flavor. If it's a, if it's a, a chewable tablet or a powder um, texture, if it's a bar, you want to be able to describe your product to the point where when you walk away from that contract manufacturer and they start manufacturing your product after you validate it, and we'll probably talk a little bit about that in a little bit, that, that they understand what quality means to you, the customer, and that they're manufacturing a product to your expectations, not their capabilities. Right. Wow. Such an important distinction. Definitely, it sounds like mm -hmm. um, due diligence just on the part of researching your your potential partner, that due diligence also needs to be done on the other side, knowing as a brand owner um, what you're looking for in that partnership and in your product. It's a great way to put it. <laughs> so, Kurt, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about quality agreements. Mm -hmm. What role do they play in this process of finding a partner and the partnership process? And also a look at what those are and, and what they do, if you don't mind. Sure, sure, absolutely. Actually, I would, I would break it down into two separate pieces of, of information. One I would call the supplier uh, questionnaire, mm -hmm. and the other one would be the actual quality agreement. And let me just take a minute to describe the differences between the two, because I think both are equally important. Um, in, the, in the vetting process, uh, a, a supplier questionnaire is a very useful tool. And all it is is, is just a simple um, 10, 10 to 12 question uh, document that you would send to the supplier and they would fill it out. And it asks real simple things like, do you have a quality control department? Uh, if so, how is it staffed? Uh, do you have, what's your quality and what's your food safety management system? Do you have a food safety manual? Do you have written procedures? Can you show me, a, uh, give me an example of a written procedure? Um, how are personnel trained? Um, do you have certifications? What was your last audit like? Purchasing and process controls. Um, have you validated your processes? And if so, how do you do that? It's just basically you're asking questions of the, of the contract manufacturer that they probably haven't heard before. And how they answer those questions is very telling as to how well they understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's a real good screening tool right off the bat. Once you've selected the contract manufacturer and you're ready to enter into an agreement with them, besides the supply and manufacturing agreement, which is typically what most brand owners would do, which talks about order volumes, price, FOBs, uh, maybe some tests and quality specs, what a quality agreement does is it, it really binds the contract manufacturer to a set of very rigid specifications for manufacturing your product. Mm -hmm. And that includes things like uh, recall procedure, how they go about doing that. Uh, it talks about um, quality testing, um, uh, sample storage, uh, sample pulls, um, product reviews. It really, what it really does is it goes through most of the steps of 21 CFR 111 for dietary supplements and outlines each one of those steps and shows the vendor, here are my requirements for each one of those. And, and the, the reason that is so vital, Rachel, is in, in the world of, of, of nutritional products, in the world of, of food, the brand owner is the person that owns the product. And that, that right. sounds kind of simplistic. But it's such a vital piece for the brand owner to understand that even if the contract manufacturer formulates the product, it goes out there with your name on it. Therefore, anything that happens to that product, the first person that the FDA is going to step to is you. If there's right. a recall, they're going to look to you. They're not going to look to the contract manufacturer. So that quality agreement is 
really your protection in case something bad happens. It's not a legal document per se, but it's about as close to one as you can get. And if there's any qualms about the vendor, about the contract manufacturer signing it, that's another red flag. Right. Absolutely. As you said, since the brand owner owns the product, they also own the responsibility for making sure the product is safe, making sure it's effective. Um, and that's the position that FDA has taken as well, like you said. And so a quality agreement really, um, at the very least, shows FDA, we've put thought into this and we've put a plan in place um, to make sure that these responsibilities are covered and everyone knows what their part is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You almost, as the brand owner, you almost have to consider that that contract manufacturer as your manufacturing plant and treat it as such. Mm-hmm. If you think about it in those terms, then the idea of a quality agreement becomes kind of second nature. Right. And so, Kurt, I want to talk a little bit about the actual partnership process. Um, what are some best mm-hmm. practices for maintaining a valuable partnership? You know, if I had to sum it up in one word, and it's probably the most overused word in the dietary supplement and nutritional foods language, and that's communication. Mm. Um, you have you have to maintain an open line of communication with your contract manufacturer, and that includes standardized um, meetings, standardized calls, maybe once a month, um, once a quarter, maybe semi-annually. You actually have a product review. As long as you know what they're doing in their manufacturing process and keep tabs on it, that's probably the best thing that you can do to protect yourself and make sure that that relationship uh, is 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 blossoming. From the contract manufacturer's standpoint, that communication also equates to the brand owner letting them know, are my volumes increasing? How's mm. the business going? Are you thinking about line extensions? Are you thinking about a raw material change? Um, are you thinking about a vendor change? Uh, one, of the, one of the things that a contract manufacturer will do, unbeknownst to the, to the brand owner, is they will take your raw material uh, specifications and they'll go source a, a vendor that might be cheaper. Mm. It's the same. It's the same raw material, but it's different. Uh, if you if you imagine um, if you have a color, a natural color in your product, the color that you sourced for your product when you're talking to vendors might be a completely different shade when they go to another vendor that might be cheaper. It might right. perform different. So if if they're thinking about changing the raw material specifications or changing the raw material vendor, you want to make sure as a brand owner that you're notified of that. Right. That communication process, that back and forth, um, all the way up until every time they run the product, you might want to be on the phone with them and say, hey, how's it running? Are any issues? Are you seeing anything different with the product? You know, even if it's just a simple powder blend, having that communication line open and, and having them understand that you're not there to, to dictate to them what to do, but you're there to ensure that they're getting what they need to make the product correctly. Right. Kurt, I have another question for you. You've worked on both sides of the contract manufacturing partnership, right? You've worked uh, mm-hmm. as in a contract manufacturing with a contract manufacturer. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So yeah. from that perspective, is, is there such a thing as over-communication? Would brand owners ever need to worry that they're calling too often or, or anything along those lines? I, I don't think there is such a thing as over-communication. I, mm-hmm. I think there is such a thing as as being too... Um, how do I want to say, forceful with mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. I, I think something that a brand a brand owner, if they have a real strong emotional tie to their product, which if you're a brand owner, you probably do, Right. you're going to want to make sure that that product is perfect every time. 
Well, contract manufacturers, they, they manufacture a product to a, a specification range. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm formulating the product, I formulate it on the bench and it's perfect. It's exactly what I want. That becomes your target product or your gold standard. When you go to the contract manufacturer, you need to tell them that here's how far you can drift away from that gold standard before I will say it's unacceptable. And I mm-hmm. think in terms of over-communication, if, if there is one way that that would happen to the detriment of both parties is if the brand owner continually tells the manufacturer that you're not making the right product because in the, in the brand owner's mind, they're thinking target every time. They're thinking gold standard and the contract manufacturer is thinking, well, this is the capability of my equipment to make the product and it can't do that every time. Mm. So there's a, there, there's a point in the, in, the, in the vetting process even where you start talking about equipment capability and, and how well it can stay within a specification range. But it really behooves a brand owner to, to come to the contract manufacturer early in the process and say, here's my product specification and here's my tolerance lim- limits. Here's how far I will let it drift from there. Something as simple as if you have a, a vitamin B claim in your product, what's the minimum level? How long do you need it in stability to, to hit that, that minimum level? How far of an overage are you allowing them to formulate into it before it becomes too much? Those are things that, that the brand owner has to be able to tell the contract manufacturer in order to guarantee their product is within spec. Again, the, the bottom line for me is that probably the worst thing a brand owner can do is expect the contract manufacturer to make that target gold standard product every time because both parties will be disappointed every time. So communicating clear expectations also an important part of communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably the most important part. Yeah, <laughs> clear, clear, concise. And the other piece for me is is something at a process engineer I, 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 I hold near and dear to my heart, and that's something called spec drift. Um, as, as the contract manufacturer makes your product, the way that a process works is it will, it will automatically migrate to the way that it runs the easiest. And what I mean by that is, let's say that um, you you say on your specification that you need this powder blend to mix for 10 minutes, okay? Maybe you say you want it to mix to 15 minutes, but that it's okay at 10 minutes. Well, the manufacturer is going to blend it to the, the minimum amount of time that they can to meet specification because time is money. So what might happen is during your first run, or maybe the run that you're sitting there at, they'll run it for 15 minutes and you'll get the product that you want. But over time, the production manager might say, I need to get that extra production time, so let's cut it down to 10 minutes. They said that's okay. Mm-hmm. What you'll start to see if you're, if you're auditing your product, if you're, if you're getting samples of each production run, which you should be doing, you'll start to see differences in your product. And if you lay those samples side by side, say, say you've got six months worth of production, I'd just get those samples, those, those, those retains from the manufacturer, lay them out one next to the other in chronological order, and just look at them. Has it changed? Do they look different? Do they taste different? Do they smell different? And that's what I mean by spec drift, is that process will drift to the, to the easiest way that it runs. And in doing so, it might create a product that's out of spec for you. Right. So you want to be able to watch that. Right. And what great perspective um, to like compare your products side by side over time and kind of see how that shift is happening. I mean, mm-hmm. that makes total sense um, that it would happen. But unless you are really keeping tabs on it, it definitely is understandable how brands could miss it. For sure. For sure. We need well, more brand owners doing that. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Well, Kurt, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, and I look forward to hearing your presentation at Supply Side West. Thank you so much. It was great chatting with you, and, and always a pleasure on my part, too. Thank you, Kurt. And, and I'd like to reiterate mm -hmm. one more time our session details at Supply Side West for our listeners. So Kurt will be speaking during the Contract Manufacturing Workshop, which is called Contact, Contract Manufacturing Roundtable, How to Foster a Successful Partnership, on Saturday, October 19th at 8.30 a.m. at Supply Side West in Las Vegas. I can't wait to see you in Vegas, Kurt. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.